Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today. Coming off a long weekend for today, August the 2nd. Very pleased to have you here. We talked to Dr. Quadro Kiramanting, uh, of course, who we've had on a few different times. We seem to be his favorite talk show in Canada, certainly in Toronto. How we got so lucky, I, I have no idea. But uh, he wanted to weigh in on the vaccine mandate, the booster mandate for the University of Toronto residents, for not just uh, employees, but for students as well. This is very late notice. Now, no other universities added uh, to the list and said, yeah, we need a booster requirement also to live in residence. And there isn't it for classrooms or common areas or the you know school workout facilities. None of those have mandated a third shot for younger kids, whether or not they've had COVID or Omicron. And really, who hasn't? But uh, that's an interesting conversation with Dr. Kira Manting. Sarah Kleiman-Hag will join us. She's candidate for mayor. We get into a lot of issues to do with the city and that particular mandate and mandates for city employees as well. So lots coming up on Toronto Today. Very glad to have you with us. And Toronto Today begins now. Dr. Quadro Kira Manting is a critical care and palliative care doctor in Ottawa. And I wanted to talk to him about this uh, U of T mandate that drew so much attention last Friday morning and through the weekend. I still think it's a big issue. And we've got him here. What was your initial reaction, Dr. K, uh, to U of T invoicing this mandate so late in the year? I was shocked. Like, I really feel like we're in the stage of the pandemic where we need to be, as we've talked about many times, learning to live with COVID and and because uh, COVID is not going anywhere. And we know we need to think about who's at highest risk of landing in hospital. That's always my approach. It's like, who is, who is, are you worried about dying, landing in ICU or being hospitalized? And the demographic we're talking about is the healthiest folks that, you know, that we can, we can picture. They're young, uh, vibrant, low, very low risk of severe disease. And we've heard even our, our chief medical officer talk about some of the impacts that additional doses can have on our youth. Like when we know that 18 to 24 year olds, have one in 5,000 chance of getting myocarditis, which is not benign um, uh, condition, then we're talking about potentially causing more harm than benefit in our young population that is, has, in my opinion, suffered enough. And so when we add this all up, to me, it, it just did not make sense. And, you know, and I, I just really feel Greg, throughout this pandemic, our youth, like we haven't been, we haven't been loud enough for advocating for our youth. Enough is enough. Like we, we, we can't just sit on the sidelines when there's going to be an unjustifiable and potentially for some a dangerous policy to our, our young demographic like that. So I, I just had to pipe in. And, and I'd say this, the late notice is a big factor. I think two things about what you said. One, one is, you know, kids are moving into residence. Athletes, by the way, are moving in in the next 10 days. So there's not much notice for this. The second thing, Dr. Kiramanting, is I'm like, not much has changed in our COVID existence right now. Are we talking, you know, a more dangerous, severe strain? You know, are we talking mm -hmm. vaccines that prevent, you know, transmission or infection? Then I think you got a conversation happening, but none of that is the case. None of it's the case right now. We've talked about this too, Greg. It's like let's follow the data. What does the data tell us? Our vaccines work. The best way they work is on severe disease. You know, you can still get infected. Unfortunately, you can still transmit. And as you said, the very last notice for some of these for some of these kids to mandate it at this stage. 
there's always been a risk of unintended consequences wherever we add these policies or mandates and so forth. And so for me, you know, at this stage of the pandemic, this makes absolutely no sense. Do you worry other schools adopt it or can the noise be enough on this one that U of T even even potentially rescinds this and says, you know what, we're giving this a second thought. There's enough people that, that, you know, again, these are optional for everybody. And if you want one, great. I'm relieved. Actually, we've opened second boosters to those who think they may need it or who get told they may need it. That's great to have choices. But Mm -hmm. are you hopeful that that this does maybe even go back the other way or it just doesn't spread like wildfire to every other university in the next few weeks? My my instincts are telling me that this won't spread like wildfire. Like, I, I think we're. You know, for example, in Ontario, this seventh wave is starting to uh, lessen. Like, I know where they're trying. We didn't want to be safe and protect the the students and the staff. But, you know, this, once again, can have some dire unintended consequences. And in my opinion, the focus needs to be catching up our kids. You're going to be excluding some kids by doing something like this. Like, and especially, I, I have to say this too, Greg, like a lot of, racialized communities who have been vaccine hesitant and, and just because of like uh, historic, uh, uh, you know, injustices that have happened uh, towards them. And, and so to think that's an additional barrier for them to be getting an education when, you know, often they've been the hardest hit during the pandemic to me is unjustifiable. So I, I, I think there'll be enough pressure to, you know, my guess is they'll reverse this. And I, don't, I personally don't think other schools are going to follow this. Dr. Kwadwakir Manting, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. It's it's also, you know, I, I know there are anti-vaxxers. I know that. And and there were before COVID who um who who really started to shout and scream, don't take this, don't take this. Um, but but now you're getting to a point where um I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I've got all my childhood vaccines. My kids have all their childhood vaccines. My teenage boys have have two vaccinations. I have three. That's not an anti-vax perspective to say, maybe not, maybe not a third or a fourth. I heard from a parent over the on Friday night going to Saturday, and his daughter is set to go to a, a women's residence at U of T. They went there, so both parents are are alumni. She had her she had her first shot in the fall of twenty one. She got COVID, the Delta variety, in October of twenty one. Soon after, but no no bad effects. Then she got a second vaccine. But then she got Omicron just in June of this year. And his like they're up in arms about this. They're like, what do we have to do? Like, we we can't we just she just got got, you know, free of Omicron six weeks ago. We can't rush her in and get a second booster. No, no doctor Mm -hmm. would recommend that. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, uh, you know, because I think one of the worst things we've done during this pandemic is try to be very black and white in our approach. Like you're either anti mask or you're pro mask. You're either. Uh, anti-vax uh, or your pro-vax, and it's you know, like everything. It depends. It's a, it's a, it depends on scenario. It depends what the the data is telling us at the time, and you know, it just at this stage to mandate it, like when we're all like mandates are lifting through, have been lifting throughout over the last year, and uh, and, and to think at when things have been getting better that we would be adding additional measures like hospitals don't have mandated boosters in this country and you're going to tell me (laughs) you're going to tell me 
the kids that are living in uh, in residence are going to have to have a, that strict of a method. It makes zero sense, in my opinion. And and even a phrase like anti-mask would suggest, well, I don't like seeing them anywhere. I don't think anybody should have them ever. But but not wanting your five-year-old starting senior kindergarten to wear one 35 hours a week doesn't strike me as anti-mask. You're you're looking out for number one, you know, your own flesh and blood, your five-year-old, your family, your son or daughter. That's that's not an anti-mask perspective, oh, knowing man. what we know. I know, I, you know, this is, you know, like, I, like I'll give an example. I was one of the, in my, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was a huge advocate at our hospital to say, like, we should be masking everywhere. There's sure. been data out in, in Europe or in uh, Asia implying that to protect the staff, like we should be, we should be wearing masks. And then, so yeah, pro mask in that setting. But for my four-year-old little guy that's going into junior kindergarten, do I want to see a mask on him at this stage? Who's already gotten his Omicron? Like I do not. I I've, I've, I personally believe that uh, it's affected a lot of the young, youngs, uh, the use of language development, the ability to read faces. Um, like I don't think it's necessary for my child. And is that making me anti-mask? No, it doesn't make me anti-mask. It just makes me like it's a cost-benefit ratio for for my child. And and I just think if I could reinforce any uh, lesson that not only for you know just the listeners but our, our youth and generations to come is let's not be so black and white. It like almost ask that you know when you say that statement about when no I want a mask. Or anti-mask or poma, it, it depends. What is the scenario? What is the data telling us? Because everything evolves, things change. And so let's not be black and white in our approach because it sets us back. It makes us more divisive. And it and it, and being so divisive, I really think is the reason why it's taken us so long to move on. I can't thank you enough for your advocacy, your time. Uh, your voice is always valuable. There's always a great response from our listeners uh, who like hearing from you and, and like what you have to say. Thank you so much for the time today. Anytime you you don't call me anytime you want, whether I am on the West Coast <laughs> or back in Old Town. Uh, you know, I love talking to you, Greg. So appreciate it. He makes the time for us on Toronto today, Dr. Quadro Kiramanting. Very pleased to welcome on uh someone who's running for mayor of the city of Toronto, uh Sarah Kleiman Hagen. She joins me now. We had an initial conversation we, when you announced uh running, and we're very thrilled to have you back. We hope to do it a couple more times this summer. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Thanks, Greg. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about what you thought about the uh, the mandate for university students at this point. I find it really rich that you could be a 68-year-old university professor. You don't even need a third shot to stand in front of a, a classroom of 120 people and lecture in a month. But a 19-year-old, which may who may who may have acquired immunity based on a COVID infection, because we've almost all had it by now, needs that third booster. I find I find that hypocritical beyond the obvious. Yeah, I, I think there's a real problem with it. I think it's it's uh, basically it's a policy of exclusion. Like, let's call it what it's it is. There are students who would like to come to U of T and contribute fully um, to, in university life and to participate by being in residence. And the university is saying no, based on nothing to do with your academics, based on nothing to do with your you know social contributions, your athletic contributions, all that you can bring to the university. We are going to exclude you from the residents because of your personal and what should be your private medical decision. 
And it's just, you know, I know at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of fear and concern and uncertainty. So these kinds of things were put into place without looking at the broader picture. And now we've had enough time to look at it, to look at the evidence, to see that vaccinated individuals can actually transmit COVID-19 as well. To see that these kinds of measures um, are, are have costs to them, have bureaucratic hurdles to them. So it makes, to me, it doesn't make sense. It's exclusive, it's exclusionary, and it deprives the rest of the university of the contribution of a pool of people who really want to be there. Um, uh, it's To me, it's even, I have to say, it's almost coercion when you talk about that letter from your um, from those parents who are saying their daughter doesn't really want to be here. She doesn't really want to take this medical intervention. Why is U of T acting as her doctor? That's what they're doing when they say you have to get this shot. We need our governments and our institutions to stop acting as doctors, to let individuals deal with their doctors and their health practitioners and make their own individual health decisions, and then go to the university, then go to the employers and contribute everything they have to offer. Like I moved on this topic, I think last year, and I think Omicron moved a lot of people on this topic. There's there's evolution of opinion. I would have said, well, yes, if it prevents infection and it prevents spread and it prevents severity of illness, we need that to to not flood our hospitals out. But that said, so much of the science has moved. And if you're still Sarah, if you're operating from a, a May 2020 playbook right now, you're right. kind of you're kind of telling on yourself 28 months later. To me, you are. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I think it's important for listeners to know that the city of Toronto actually has its own mandate still in place, not the booster with the double vax, which we all know has basically it's totally waned. Right. So the city is setting its own model for these institutions to continue these sorts of mandates that, like you say, they're based in in May 2020 thinking they're not based in uh, August 1st thinking. Right. So it's really important for uh, these institutions to recognize where we are at. And again, like I said, to recognize their role. They're, they're a learning institution. They are not a, a healthcare facility that students are going to for healthcare advice, you know, and they're acting as if they are. So um, yeah, the, it's it's important, you know, especially a scientific institution like U of T with a you know, great reputation, attracts people from all over the world, like stay in tandem with the science and don't continue uh, doing something that, you know, it just doesn't seem warranted, you know. Toronto seems rather unique. I've had enough people say that even going, you know, west of London for a week with my family. Uh, Toronto and Ottawa seem to be the two unique Canadian cities, people tell me, when it comes to um, COVID action and, and COVID reaction. Do you notice yes. that? Do you have, do you have any, any theory as to why that's the case? Well, I noticed that. I mean, I have to tell you, because I come from a quite progressive background, I've noticed that early on in the pandemic, it was it was seen as it's the common good to do these things, to have these mm -hmm. vaccine mandates, to have these masks. It's for the common good. And Toronto and Ottawa, you know, they have a real civic pride and sense of common good and being good Canadians and doing the right thing for our neighbours. And that's a wonderful thing. But I think, unfortunately, somewhere along the way, that got linked with this you need to do masks and you need to do vaccines and you need to force it on people um, for the common good. And so I, I think that we need to start saying, you know what, the common good is important and individual health decisions are also important. And these things can't, you can't enforce what you think is the common good if it actually isn't now the common mm. good. <laughs> You know, I, I to me, that's what it is. It comes from a good intention. It comes from people wanting to do the right thing for their neighbors. And that's wonderful. But we have to look at it and go, oh, wait a second. Is this actually doing the right thing for our neighbors? Because I think now we're at the stage where it's not.
these mandates are not for the common good anymore. Sarah Kleiman Hanks, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto with Greg Brady. So I see the headline, uh, Sean McAuliffe's the, the excellent uh, uh, city writer in the Toronto Star, pretty opinionated guy, and he he takes a, uh, a run at Time Magazine calling, uh, here's the headline from the Star, Time Magazine calls John Tory's Toronto one of the world's greatest places. Tell that to the people who live here. And, and it's probably one of the reasons you're so engaged in the city, engaged in wanting to be a huge part of municipal politics is there's so much that's great about Toronto. There's so much that we can go elsewhere and brag about. But when we look inward a little bit and we see all the transit problems and water fountains that don't work and um, there are there just feels like simple things we can get better at. What did you make of, of reading the article? Yeah, I thought it was a great article. I mean, you know, Sean points out it's really wonderful that Time and The Economist just did a piece as well, that, that there are these international publications are elevating Toronto. Mm -hmm. That's good for tourism and that's good for business investment. So I, I welcome those rankings. The problem with them is they don't actually uh, look at the disparity in Toronto. And so for some people, yeah, they get all the best of Toronto and they can shield themselves from all the worst. If you live in a wealthy neighborhood with lots of parks, you walk to the subway, you've got great local shops and restaurants, you've got a job, you've got a high income, you're you're living the best parts of Toronto. Um, if you're in a high rise where you don't have access to, you know, there's not a lot of trees, there's a concrete heat island in the middle of the summer, um, there's garbage everywhere, uh, crime is in your particular pocket, not great. Uh, you're living a completely different Toronto than these than these rankings reflect. And so the, I think what Sean was pointing out is if you're a politician and you rely on those rankings to say, hey, everything's great in Toronto, you're really missing a reality for a large proportion of this city. And so we need to use those rankings as great. Like, thank you. Yes, outside world, come and see us, come and see what we have to offer. And yes, Toronto, let's build on all these amazing things that we have to offer, our waterfront, our local business scene, our local art scene. But hey, we are really like by the time we drop off those lists, we're really in trouble. So we can't like we don't look to the list. We look to what individual residents are experiencing. And, and if you're protected from that by being very wealthy, by owning property, by going, you know, using your large backyard or your pool or your, you know, escape medication, you 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 aren't experiencing all of Toronto. And so it's so important for our politicians to actually get into those other areas, talk to those residents, see the real problems that people are yeah. dealing with. Yeah, I mean, equality is, it's impossible to mandate. You can create a level playing field, but equality is impossible to mandate. There's that word again. But we don't, I, I think your point is we don't We don't want two Torontos. We, we just don't want one Toronto for the haves and one Toronto for the have-nots. There's got to be um, some middle ground and, and flexibility. Sarah Kleiman-Hegg uh, has been our guest. She's running for mayor of Toronto. Um, super smart stuff. I uh, really appreciate your time. People can go, it looks like, to votesarah.ca and find out more about your campaign. That's right. They can. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on this morning. I know we'll have another chat uh, before September. Appreciate the time today. Looking forward to it, Greg. Take care. Awesome. Have a great day. Tell your listeners. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow between 530 and 9. It'll be Wednesday already. That will take some getting used to. And uh, we're on the Radio Player Canada app, and you can visit us at 640toronto.com if you can't find us on the AM dial, which is, of course, at 640 AM. Thanks so much for listening.